Here we are. Am I on? Good deal. Well, I'm going to pray. It's always good to pray first. Holy Spirit, you're here. Um, like, you're here. You're amongst us. But more than that, for those of us who are sons and daughters of God, uh, you, you're in us. You dwell in us. Wow. The Spirit of Jesus dwelling in us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd make Jesus more real to us, that, that his thoughts, his passions, his perspectives would become increasingly ours. And God, that it would be done because of your work in us, not because we're all so smart. God, would you do that for our sake, for the sake of the people that we say we love, and for the sake of your name that we carry around wherever we set our foot. Amen. Amen. Well... I'm just going to get right into this. There's a scripture that's just been, just been with me in so many different avenues, so many different ways. Um, and it's Proverbs 25, verse 11. I got it a few years ago from a pastor, another pastor from Truebridge, uh, Dan Mueller. We were just having a prayer meeting. And he goes, hey, I got a word for you. And I go, great, what is it? And he goes, Proverbs 21:11. And I go, what's that? And he goes, I have no idea. I just have Proverbs 20, you know, 25, 11. I'm going, so we look it up. He looks it up, and he reads it to me. And I go, yeah, great. What does it mean? He goes, I have no idea. He just gave me the word. And so I took the word and started thinking about it. And the, the, the scripture is this. A word that's aptly spoken. Aptly is sort of effectively and fruitfully spoken. A word aptly spoken, it's like, Apples of gold in settings of silver. And initially, when I looked at that, I went, since I'm in prophetic ministry and I love to train people to develop the spiritual gifts, I train people in public speaking and all that sort of stuff, I went, this is perfect because God can give us a gift, maybe a prophetic gift. And have you ever noticed you really can't improve on the Holy Spirit? You just can't. You can try. But God can give you a gift but what makes it effective is its setting. Sometimes we have a gift and we're wounded. Sometimes we're immature. Sometimes we have some character defect. Sometimes we just don't have people skills. You know, and God, that doesn't bother God because development of our setting is just as much a work of the Holy Spirit as the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I started realizing that you know, not just prophetic words, not just how we speak, but all sorts of things. God gives us gifts, and he puts them in certain settings. And then if we allow God to change our setting, what he's put in us becomes more effective. And I went, this was, it revolutionized my own life. It made me look at, you know, how God has made me, how he's designed me, even with my weaknesses. And I started even looking at my weaknesses as God. These weaknesses are not excuses. These are opportunities for you to change my setting. And I, I was just sort of revolutionized uh, in almost everything. And I started applying it to a whole bunch of things. I started thinking how that could be applied to, say, just living life. Listen, there's a lot of people who have really good lives. They're good people. They, you know, they, they raise their kids well. And, you know, they're not always in chaos. They don't have, you know, they're not always desperate. Their lives aren't you know, you know uh, featured on Jerry Springer. I mean, it's, it's just, 
they have just good lives, they're good people, right? But I started realizing that sometimes those wonderful things, they just need to be in a proper setting. And it's the proper setting that gives meaning and value to those things. I mean, if you don't have Jesus, you know, you know, all the good things you do, it's just going to perish. It won't mean much. Anyway, so I'm thinking about this, and then I actually start thinking about, like, precious stones. I mean, welcome to my world. I usually don't think about shiny bling, you know? I mean, this is my fashion statement. But it, can you imagine looking at a, just a diamond, a beautiful diamond, and, and putting it on a, on a table? Almost everybody would go, wow, beautiful diamond. But then you go, I wonder what it's for. Is that going to be in an earring? Is that going to be in a necklace? That, that something, its purpose, the purpose of the diamond is not in the diamond. That there's something that's got a, a, a setting that has got to come to the diamond to give the diamond purpose. Have you ever seen diamonds, you know, well, things that look like diamonds, they're in sort of cheap, you know, plastic bright green settings, and you go, oh, how cheesy. And it makes you even wonder whether or not the diamond really is a real diamond. You know, the setting can have so much to do with the effectiveness and the purpose of, of, of the diamond. My wife's an artist. I am not, but she's taught me a few things. Uh, you can have a really beautiful painting, expertly done with subtle brush strokes and, you know, color schemes. The whole thing is just absolutely extraordinary. But if you put it in, in like the wrong frame, it's still a, an extraordinary painting, but the frame limits what the painting is supposed to express. It detracts or it undermines what the painting is really supposed to bring out. But if, you, if, if there's someone who knows what they're doing, you get the right matting and the right frame, the picture doesn't change, but because of the, because of the framing, it brings out, you know, the fullness and the richness of all this in the painting. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, and you, you can just, this is true with so many things that we understand the fullness and the purpose of something when it's put in the right framework, when it's put in the right perspective. A few years ago, I was in the, my backyard and I'm hammering, I'm putting something together, and I'm hammering some boards together. My daughter comes up to me, Tess, the, the middle one, who does not have many filters. And she goes, what are you doing? I'm hammering. Well, let me do it. And she jumps in, and she's trying to hammer. I go, no, 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 don't help me like this. No, I want to do it. Teach me how to do it. So I went and got a little, I had a smaller hammer, and I got a little smaller nails. And so I, I showed her how to do what I was doing. And, you know, the first few minutes was just, painfully hysterical. I mean, going like this, oh, you know, running around, crying. I had to comfort her. But after a while, she became a pro. I mean, she'd go tap, tap, and then boom, boom, boom. There were short nails. Boom, boom, boom. And she got really good. So daddy and daughter are hammering nails. And somewhere in that conversation, uh, during that activity, you know what she did? She said, daddy, why are we doing this? Why are we hammering nails? I mean, we've gotten good at it, but why are we doing it? And I said, oh, we're doing this so we can build something. And he, oh, right? 
And there's nothing about looking at hammering nails by itself that said that its purpose is to build something. It's just an activity that you can get good at and feel good that you're getting good at it. Don't you know there are a lot of God-ordained activities? Getting together and eating, having great worship, uh, learning to love one another, um, just you know, getting free, all the things that are so very important. We can get, little by little, really good at doing church. Now listen, you'll never hear me slam church because Jesus died for the church. But there's something about we can learn to be good at certain church activities. They're fulfilling, they're beautiful, they're wonderful. But sometimes our frame is limited. That our basic perspective, which gives meaning to what we're doing, is just a little limited. Sometimes we go to church because we go, wow, this is a place where I feel accepted. This is a place where I'm strengthened. This is where I find out who I am. These are all absolutely awesome things. But I'm telling you, when what we do, even as unto God, is framed by, let's just have good, healthy, well-balanced church, you know, let's just, let's have good church. There's nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful. It's satisfying. But when it's reframed by the Great Commission, all those activities, the meaning and purpose of all the things that we're called to do, they just come out and they become even more beautiful and more effective. Learning how to love one another, it's the Christian thing to do. Right? Did you know that even Jesus said you should love one another the way I've loved you so that the world will know you're the real deal? The Great Commission is not something that we add onto healthy church so that we are balanced. The Great Commission, go and make disciples, not go and make converts, but go with the idea of bringing people into the Lord and teaching them how to follow the Lord. That is the framework for the very existence and purpose of church. Now, so we're all in various stages, but one of the, what I want to show you is how Jesus oftentimes helps us reframe our lives. I could teach to the cows come home, which the cows are probably inside because it's so stinking cold. But No, I, I could teach and God could use it and all that sort of stuff. Or I could sit there and say, look, the framing of everything, the, the mission of the church is that whatever we do, we have to have a sense of going forward with the idea of making disciples, not doing ministry, which is good, not simply surviving and thriving by the grace of God, which is good, that all that, when we add it to, let's go make disciples, let's reproduce itself, that brings out the very best that God's put it. I could tell you that, and some of you go, well, that's very nice, but that's sort of optional, or that doesn't fit into my particular view, or, my gosh, I'm just trying to survive. You're talking about big stuff. I just want to balance my checkbook. Now, I just don't, I don't want to slam any of that. I want to show one of the ways that God reframes us. Because when God reframes us, sometimes it's uncomfortable, but it's not, it's not really a matter of our figuring things out. And I, I, want, I want, if you could just turn with me 
to John chapter 4. Just in the background, I want you to keep in mind that the ministry of the Holy Spirit, many different aspects to it, but one of it is to lead us into all truth, to show us how things really are. Have you ever looked at something in your natural eye, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you see it differently because the Holy Spirit's helping you see it differently? That's one of the ministries. And I think how we frame our lives, how we frame church, how we even fray, frame our leadership, how we frame our idea of where we're going, we actually need the Holy Spirit to let us see what He wants us to see so that we can be reframed. Let me just give you an illustration. All right, you know the story about the woman of the well. I hope you do. Um, before we get to it, oh, I didn't give you all the PowerPoint. My bad. I'm sitting there waiting. But it was a great PowerPoint. It was awesome. Anyway, this is great, so I don't, I'm, I'm not encumbered. I can make it up. And Oh, you got the handout. Great. Well, back to being restricted. Um, listen, before we get to that, that portion of Scripture that I want to talk about, here's some background. Jesus has met this woman at the well. And basically, he exercises a spiritual gift, the word of knowledge. Um, he reads her mail. Uh, he basically says, sweetheart, you got a lot of relationship issues, right? And he just met her. And, you know, go to your husband. Well, that's not my husband. Yeah, you got that right, that the man you're not, but you have many husbands before. It was just a mess. And she is deer in the headlights, like, whoa, he knows me. And, how's he? and she goes, surely you're a prophet, right? So uh, God, Jesus exercises the spiritual gifts in actually the primary way, which is to reach out and to advance the kingdom. So he does it, and this lady's going, you're a prophet. And he says, well, I'm a little more than a prophet. I'm, I'm actually the guy. Now, you say you're looking for the Messiah, and that's great. Well, you don't have to look any further. I am him. And I don't know if he handed her a track or... <laughs> or gave like four steps. I don't know what he did, but somehow, someway, Jesus led this woman to himself. And she gets converted. She gets saved. She gets cleansed. And then, after sitting down with Jesus, he sends her off back to, back to her hometown. Now, in her hometown, she's got a reputation. Everybody knows that this lady... Uh, it's just got relationship issues. I bet you a lot of wives are sitting there going, honey, stay away from that woman. Just that, that kind of thing. She's got a reputation, a broken woman with relationship issues, et cetera, et cetera. She comes back to her hometown and goes, guess what? I found another man. <laughs> and and not, really, he's better than all the rest. He's the Messiah. Now, if you were part of that town, you'd be sitting there going, she has really flipped her lid, right? It's one thing to have another guy, and he's nicer than the last one, but no, this guy's the Messiah. But something happened to her. She actually, what she was talking about was real, and because it was real, God backed her words. That her words had an impact, and it stirred people up, and is this true? And they got all excited, and they went to see Jesus, a whole bunch of people from the town went to see Jesus. They came back and go, sister, 
You're right. He's the guy. That was a pretty good day at the office for Jesus. This is very important. Now, before he sends her out on this evangelistic mission, he's sitting on a rock talking to her. His disciples had been out maybe at a 7-Eleven or a food line. Who knows? They're in the town. It says, just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find uh, him talking with the woman. But no one asked, no one addressed her like, what do you want? And no one asked him, so why are you talking to her? Um, then the lady leaves and then his disciples say something very interesting. <coughs> Rabbi, eat something. Now I'm going I'm to take a little bit of license. There's a metaphor going on. Here are these disciples. They're followers of Jesus and they are going to be leaders. They're the ones who are going to be setting the pace of what the church is going to look like. And they, they come to Jesus and they're utterly, they want to serve Jesus and they want to strengthen, they want to feed the body of Christ. They're concerned about whether or not the body of Jesus is getting what it's needed so it can be healthy enough. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of our job. If we're disciples or leaders, our job is to be concerned about building up and feeding and strengthening the body of Christ. And so they're sitting there. They're coming back from 7-Eleven, and they're going, Rabbi, eat something. We're concerned. We love you so much. We want to serve your body. Now, this is the beginning of Jesus starting to reframe their idea of Christian success. This is the very beginning of Jesus starting to reframe their idea of what effective, fruitful, Christ-guided ministry really looks like. He's going to shake their world just a little bit, and they go, Rabbi, eat something. See, we love you. And Jesus said to them, I have food. I don't think he spoke like that, but I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Can you imagine following Jesus? And you go, so Jesus, what do you want? You know, do you need some? We, we have some bologna and cheese sandwiches. No ham, no ham, but we have bologna and cheese sandwiches. And Jesus goes, I have food that you know nothing about. I have food that you have no clue about. I have, I have sustenance that that you don't know anything about. I know if I was there, I'd go, I'd go to the rest of the disciples. There he goes again. Being mysterious. Being, being mysterious. And then, and then they started saying to each other, could someone have brought him food? What's going on? I thought it was our job to feed the body of Christ. Our job to do our job. What's going on? And, and Jesus says, look, I got food that you don't know anything about. As a disciple, you're going, what's he talking about? There he goes again, being Jesus. And then Jesus, and remember, he's about to shake up their world. He goes, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, I know if I were a disciple, this is what I would have said. I go, oh, okay. He's just speaking in metaphor. He just wants to do the will of God, us too. We're back in agreement. Everything's copacetic. We're working together, right? And, just, and Jesus had lulled them into a false sense of, yeah, 
Jesus, we're tracking, we're tracking. And then Jesus turns to him and says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? Don't you have a saying, don't, don't you have a saying that says, there's still time to actually change how you do things so that things are geared toward the Great Commission? Don't you think, well, you, you got to get more mature, you got to get more healed, you have to have this right and this right before you actually frame yourself with the Great Commission. Don't you have some traditions? Don't you have some sayings? The disciples are going, oh, deer in the headlights. Have you ever noticed when Jesus wants to reframe you, he shakes up your current frame to make room for the next thing. Come on, guys, you all know this. Let's say you love your wife. You first got married, you love your wife, and you have a Christian plan. You're both committed to the Bible and all this sort of stuff, and you love her, and you got a framework. So this is how I'm going to be successful. I'm going to do a great thing for my wife. She's going to be happy with me, and when I tell her what to do, she's just going to do it. And <laughs> Right? And, 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 then, and she's going to love me, I'm going to love her, we'll pray together, We're, you know, and if there's disagreement, I'll break the tie. Everything's going to work. It's every, and it, and you, know, there's some, you know, there's something biblical, it's all good, right? And guys, how's that working for you? <laughs> no, there, there's a really nice perspective, and it's biblical and all, but it's just sort of, have you ever just, you, it's not working. Well, it's obviously her fault. She's got issues. So you keep on doing the same thing and it gets worse. Well, those issues are getting worse. And then you realize, wait a second, this is on me. Oh, she's fine. I'm the failure. Back and forth and back and forth. Jesus, what's going on? And Jesus is sitting there going, I'm just putting you into a place where I can reframe you. Where what you do is led by my spirit. It's not simply framed by your idea of what a well-balanced, good Christian life would look like. Am I the only person who's had that experience? Everybody's really quiet, all right? This is true of leadership. This is true of whatever we're called to. We have an idea. This is what church should look like, and it's biblical. And then God starts messing around with it, and we start thinking people who want to change our idea of church, there's something wrong with them. But no, God's using them to shake it up, to reframe us, so what is in us can be more fully expressed. But it's sort of an uncomfortable transition. Anyway, so he just nails them. You just got some excuses. He could have said, look, I just want to teach you more fully about why I'm here. Have you noticed that when you came up to me, you didn't ask me what I was doing when actually what I was doing was my biggest passion? Yes, I'll eat. The, the, the health of the body of Christ, yeah, it's important. I'm not going to diss that. But the thing that trips my trigger, you saw me doing. The thing that I came here for fundamentally was finding people who don't know me, get them to a place where they do know me, and then I release them so more people know me. That's what trips my trigger. That's the thing that frames my mission. He could have taught like that. He could have you know, just done all that stuff, but he didn't. Their focus was on, I want to build the body. I want to strengthen the body. I want to fit the body. There's nothing wrong with it. All Jesus did to start teaching them, to reframing them, he told them 
to change their focus. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. No, that's actually not what Jesus said. Because there's an exclamation point. I'm not going to yell at you too loud. But have you ever had a coach? You're doing one thing, you sort of focus, and you go, hey, look at me. Okay, this is what I want you to do. And, and if it's a good coach who really cares, right, you may be offended. Excuse me, I don't like when people talk to me that way and actually tell me what to do. But, you know, sometimes we got to get over that, especially when it's Jesus going, hey, stop it. Turn your focus. I mean, that, he's saying, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. He didn't say, let me teach you about what really trips my trigger. Just stop and look at the fields. Like, you're looking at me, it's great, but look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And they are ripe. They not, they're not will be ripe, they are ripe. That opportunities to experience the Great Commission, they are right now. And how God reframes us is not motivating us and teaching us or rebuking us. He goes, just look. Look at the fields. You know how I keep myself reframed? I love Christmas for a whole bunch of reasons. I love going to malls without my wallet. <laughs> and I just look at people. I just look at people. Just look at them. I'm not stalking anybody. I'm not any weirdo. Have you just looked at people? It's great that we love church and we want to have well-balanced this and, this and growth and it's all good. God really died so that church could be healthy and we'd grow, right? But have you ever just sort of looked at people? Just look at strangers. You go, they're without God. Have you ever looked at, you know, that, that uncle that nobody wants to talk to? at family reunions. He's about as saved as an Easter egg, you know? And he's just sort of, have you ever just looked at him? I mean, just looked at, at them. Have you ever looked at the fields? When you look at the fields, because Jesus wants you to look, something happens. Have you ever looked at your neighbor, the one that said, you know, you've stolen rakes? You, you know, you play your music really loud, and yeah, it's true. But every just stop and just look at them. Look at them and say, God, why am I living next to them? It's not punishment for my past sins, because Jesus forgive me. The power of focus, the power of looking is so important. I'm going to say some personal things. My kids drive me to distraction at times. Really, I mean, I know none of you have had this problem, but I have. I'm going, oh, I got to discipline them. I got to do all this sort of stuff and patience and all that sort of But every so often, I just step back and I just look at my kids. Just look at them. And sometimes I look at them when they're just being a little naughty. I just look at them. And I'm not in denial, but I, I see their quirks. I see their sin. I see their all that sort of stuff. But when I just stop and look at them, I see hope. I say, man, they're a lot farther on than I was. It's just sort of, when I look at my kids, my love for them not only becomes bigger, it becomes more practical. When I, out of love, I go, you know, God, I know I can do a better job. Please help me. And it's not because I'm getting taught. It's because I'm just looking. 
Some of you know my wife, and I still am wondering why Jesus died for her. I mean, she's just the nicest, kindest, most gentlest person. I mean, when she goes, gosh, she goes, sorry, you know? (laughs) And if I go, gosh, she'll look at me and go, she's not a church lady, but you know what I'm saying. She's just, it's a wonderfulness. But, you know, sometimes she's, she drives, she irritates fire out of me. (laughs) No, she does. And uh, I know it's usually my issue, but it's her fault. <laughs> no, she, she just, and um, she knows I do this. It's not a weird thing. But when we're having a tough time sometimes, yeah, it's good that we, we pray, we talk it out. But I know what settles my heart. That I usually get up before she does. And when I wake up, I look at her. Just look at my wife. Just look at her. Yeah, she's beautiful. I just look at her, and the Holy Spirit shows me what a special woman she is, and that even her flaws are attractive, that even, even the things that irritate me are designed by God to bring out the best. And I'm, and I'm not being cheesy here. I'm telling you what really happens. Have you ever looked at your weaknesses and say, well, I can't do that because I have this weakness? I used to do that. I used to do that. I used to use my weaknesses or how I'm wired as an excuse for not doing the things that God wants me to do. As an excuse for not stepping out in faith. There, I mean, I am insecure when it comes to public speaking. I know you may not believe that, but it's true. And I'm telling you, if I said, well, I'm really not designed, I'm not secure in doing this, therefore I won't do it, I'd have been in sin. There was a time when I just said, God just said, look at your weaknesses. Look at it, you're insecure. And I thought he was just going to convict me. Instead, he quickened to me. The scripture says, in the places that you're weak, that's where I'm strong. That you may have an excuse or you may have an opportunity. And it wasn't because anybody taught me anything. It's because God just told me to focus. Sometimes my girls get all upset. I mean, you know, they're girls and get all emotional. Daddy, nobody loves me, and my, you know, my sister is there, you know, that's horrible, and they hate me, and I hate myself, and all that sort of stuff, and I comfort them all, but if it starts going on too long, you know what I do? I just, I, I do this, I take, I take their, their faces, wrestle them to the ground, no, I, <laughs> I take their faces, and I just go like this, I go, stop, just look at me, but daddy, just look at me. Just look at me. And when they see how I'm looking at them, it's just okay. I could have taught her, I could explain, I could have lectured, but I've just learned the power of focus. And this is true for why we're here as a church. This is true for anything we do. Sometimes we got to stop and look. Here's a very long bumper sticker. When we look at what Jesus wants us to look at, we will see what he wants us to see. And when we see what Jesus wants us to see, it'll transform us. I'll just repeat it. When we look at what Jesus wants us to look at, we will see what he wants us to see. 
And when we see what he wants us to see, our life starts getting transformed. We start getting reframed. This is one of the coolest, miraculous churches I have ever been a part of. I am serious. The Spirit of God is here. And where, you, where you were 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 3 years ago, it's just an amazing, amazing. You guys just follow God. And I've known the leadership team when they're going, where God wants to lead us, either we don't want to go, or, yeah, we'd like to, but we don't think we can do it. They could have said a long time ago that we're not wired this way. We're just a country church in the middle of Minnesota, and let's just have a good church. But God, you, could, you can instruct them, but they, they started looking at things. They started looking out there. They started looking into the future. And their excuses and their weaknesses became opportunities to step out in faith. This church has been led by people who have allowed God to continually reframe them. And as they have allowed God to reframe them, not only are they transformed, but the church is like, you guys are going gangbusters. It's just like, this shouldn't be happening, guys. You're having way too much fun. You like each other way too much. And your food, poof, I think they're going to take some of the food that you serve here and bring it up to heaven. You all know how to eat. But I'm... What, I, what I'm suggesting is, and this is how I'm going to pray, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to come to us afresh and anew, and we'd be able to see what He wants us to see. It could be an obstacle in our life, or, or an area in our life that we've used as an excuse instead of looking at it as an opportunity. Or it sometimes God will just show us an area of bitterness, I won't say it who it was, but this lady came up to me and she's going, God, show me I have a sin. And I, you know, and I, I wanted to go there, there, it's okay, but I knew that was the wrong answer. All right, and I go, wow, that's awesome. God's dealing with you. And she, yes, what do I do with it? And I told her what to do. She did it and she's like all happy. God was reframing her. God was having her look at something, not to make her feel bad, but to deliver from it so she could expand. And as a church, as you start looking in the future, do you see the fields? There are foreign fields that y'all are going to be called to. Other nations that you're going to be called to. Just look at them. There are family members. There's co-workers. God's not going to yell at you the way I did, but he said, just take time to look at them. Just take time to look at them. Some of you are trying so nice to be good that God is sitting there going, I didn't call you to do this. Do something else. Do something else. Yeah, it's good. Look, look at what God wants you to look at and you'll see what he wants you to see. Even relationships, you go, man, honey, you're a great, you're a great spouse. But I've been looking at our marriage. God wants to upgrade it. What do you say? And of course, she'll say, it's about time. <laughs> no, but there's something about looking. And I'm, I'm saying all that to bring us to this place. There was a man who was blind and Jesus brought him out. 
And uh, he spit on the guy's eyes. All the disciples said, oh, that's gross. That's sort of unkind. You really didn't even see it coming. And <laughs> anyway, but, and, and then he asked the guy, what do you see? And he was honest. He could have acted like a fully sighted man because he could see a little bit. But he basically said, I see men, but they're like trees. In other words, what I'm supposed to see, I don't see nearly as clearly. And then Jesus didn't have to spit on him again. Didn't have to get his attention. He prayed for him, and then he could see clearly. Uh, if you could just please stand for a moment. I just want to pray. And you can also get blood into the bottom part of your body. <laughs> Ministry of the Holy Spirit, he's the one who opens our eyes. He's the one that helps us see things the way Jesus wants us to see them. So I want to pray for us, not to this church, pray for us. Holy Spirit, you are here. Lord, uh, some of our traditions, our excuses, even some of the things that are in us, God, would, would, you, would you help us see these things not as excuses, but as opportunities for you to do some of your most extraordinary work. Where we are insecure, God, would you be our security? Where we're weak, would you be our strength? God, we choose to submit to the ministry of the Holy Spirit today. And we may not be called to look at the fields right now. Lord, what is it that you want us to look at? What is it that you want us to look at? Are we running from a calling? Are we afraid to change? Lord, would you cause us to start looking at and seeing what you want us to see? Because if we start seeing what you want us to see, we'll be reframed. We'll experience a transformation that will release in a greater, more rich way not only who we are, but why we are. God, I ask that this would just be a, a beautiful time, Holy Spirit, for you just every so often just help us focus on what you want us to focus on so we can see what you want us to see so we can be transformed according to your plan. And for those people here who are sitting there going, you know, I don't even know if Jesus is real to me. I don't even know if I'm real to Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open up the eyes of their hearts so they could see their actual condition and that you would give them great grace to say, I need a Savior. I need the reality of Christ. I need more than forgiveness. I need the very person of Jesus in my life. God, would you give them that kind of focus? And for those who are far away from you in their heart, God, I ask that You'd help them to turn their eyes home. Turn their eyes toward you and just focus on you. They'd see you saying, come on, come on home. We'll take care of the other stuff, but it's more important that we're close. God, would you, would you help some of us here to see that? And then to see it in a way that transforms us where we don't come home afraid. We actually just come running home.
Amen.